And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. I'm Lindsay. I'm Aiden. And we're the Bix. Indeed we are. And this episode, we are here to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, in particular, the first season of TNG, as it's well known. Yep. Uh, this was the show that, uh, Lindsay, you and I kind of grew up with. Uh, yep. It was the one that we were first kind of exposed to and existed in the zeitgeist at I the think, same time as we were. Yeah, I, I mean, we both watched the original series, obviously, with our parents. But um, you much more than I did, I think. But um, this was on while we were... Alive. cognizant and, while we yeah, were alive yeah, yeah. and like i i remember um like acting out scenes from the shows with my friends and um especially this one family that my my brothers and i were very close with and we had like props that you know like mm-hmm. the toys and stuff that you'd yep. play with and i had um action figures at home and yep. um the phaser the tricorder Same. um you had another one you had what? you had you had the original phaser. I had the so I have the little like the little one that's miniaturized. Yeah. But when I was a kid, and maybe it was larger than scale, but it it seemed massive. Like it, the buttons were very large and kind well, of hard to a, push. Yeah, there was a bigger version, and then yeah. there was the one that that I had that had like the pink tip that glowed when you pressed the button. Yes. And it made the phaser and, sounds. Yes. And, stuff. and that one had like the the pointy later on season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also had the round yeah. one as well. The bulbous the, the yard. Yeah. Yeah, famous yeah. Uh, phaser. So yeah, we we, toys. Had this, we had toys. We had toys, and they were. They, it was a similar experience for both. It was. Of us, it I was think. definitely like, and and interestingly, um, that the original Star Trek not so much aimed at kids, but I feel like Next Generation definitely did consider them part of the the fan base. I, I would say they were designed for the boomers, and then the kids, the kids were there who as well. Were watching, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was very much our parents, you know, who had seen the original series, seen it in reruns at least, yeah. grew up with it to an extent, and all of a sudden, hey, there's a new one. Yeah, kids, sit down, watch it. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna learn something. So today. they planned it. It was it was a top I think, down planning. I think so. I think yeah. it was, a, or maybe just a happy accident. We're gonna get but. mom with Picard, and we're gonna get <laughs> the kids with yours. Uh, I was going to call it a replicator. That's not what she used. <laughs> Phaser, it's late. I'm tired. Shut up. Oh, I love you, Lindsay. Uh, so let's start off with uh, a bit of a backstory because we're yeah. just we're focusing on season one today. Um, and we'll we'll give a bit of a deep dive into the overall creation and uh, origin story of this yeah. particular series. Um, we kind of already have, I think. Yeah, we've hinted that a, a lot. Yeah. Into... Um, like the mid '80s, with when we were talking about like the voyage home and um, the final frontier, yep. they were already talking about doing another series. So this was kind of 
what Paramount's actual attempt. This isn't a phase two thing. This was like, we're actually going to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is, this comes after, you know, we had talked about television throughout, like even in yeah. the animated series, we're like, well, they were going to aim for phase two. And instead they went yes. doing the animated series. Yes. Uh, that idea of the Academy uh, yep. before the movie was made again, it was going to go back and forth between being a movie to being yeah. a new TV series. Uh, so this, this back and forth uh, dallying on the part of Paramount uh, really finally took hold in this shape with the next generation and in such an interesting way too like it's famously the first show to be aired in first run syndication Mm -hmm. um because nobody wanted to pick it up nobody wanted to be the network that was going to host it fox i think offered them 13 episodes um uh i think and one of the other big networks in the states cbs nbc abc one of them um said they would give them enough to do like a, a mini series or something i think that was cbs yeah yeah and so it wasn't like nobody was interested in in running it primarily on their network so paramount was just like and they didn't have their own network yet there no. was no paramount UPN, UPN or yeah. paramount plus or streaming obviously yeah. um so they're like well let's just farm it out to individual stations and and it actually it worked really well because then um, as a package deal, these individual stations would get the rights to air all the original 79 episodes of the original mm-hmm. series, plus all the new stuff as it came out in the local markets that were already showing. Yeah, they were the paying for series. it anyways. Yeah, but they were doing this is where the series retained its popularity over the 20 years that it had been off the air. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it's a nice little nod. Good on you, Paramount. It's one of the few times I'm going to say that in this podcast um, for recognizing and giving back to those stations and giving them the first crack at it. I think Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Um, Instead of making the series wait for 100 episodes or something before they get to go into syndication. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not sure how the rules of TV work. It's kind of a magic. I just turn on the (laughs) box and then there's pictures and... Exactly. And and who knows? I mean, obviously... None of that exists anymore with streaming and everything else. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a dying art form uh, to even understand how all this, this, the financials and everything worked. But yeah, they basically, they needed 26 episodes. Nobody was going to do it. Nobody yeah. offered it. And then they did it themselves. And uh, yeah. It was Which quite puts a, them in a really unique position as well, yeah. that they could just do it. It wasn't like you were relying on a really good pilot to finance the rest of your series, exactly. which if that were the case, this would never have gotten off the ground, yeah. as we'll talk about. Yeah. Because Encounter at Farpoint is terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so that so we'll, we'll get into a bit more of the the syndication and everything mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit. But uh, talk about the messiness behind the scenes. Yeah. So I mean, the, they they wanted a TV series. They go to Roddenberry and they're like, "We need you to do it. You, you know, you're the you're the source of Star Trek. We do trust you. We want you to to do this again." This was 1986, 20 years after the start of Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, and. There was a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Roddenberry was very pissed off about. Uh, he felt he was not getting due royalties. He wasn't getting. He due was royalties. not. He was not getting what he should have for uh, the original series and possibly even the movies as well. Um, so uh, he basically did some underhanded trickery through the through his lawyer, uh, which is Mazelish. Yeah, uh, Leonard Mazelish, which we'll talk about again a little bit more. Um, but his lawyer basically got him a sweetheart deal. Uh, mm-hmm. So he basically got paid. Not under the table, but, you know, he got paid off to stop harassing them about the original series as well <laughs> yeah. as going forward. He would own a certain amount of uh, The Next Generation uh, and he'd get royalties for all that. Um, so and he was also given complete control basically over the the stories or over yeah. the series, the, this new one. Um, so there was 
a lot of other things going on with Roddenberry at this time too. Uh, he was going through some health problems. He was starting to have a series of small strokes. It sounds like mm-hmm. uh, he got, he was in rehab right before they basically mm-hmm. started production because he was you know a habitual dr- uh, drinker and uh, drug abuser. So was um, he really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was kind of high uh-huh. or drunk and strung out a lot of the time. So uh, I think Major Barrett and his assistant, who was uh, also his, I do remember that, yeah, his secretary who was also his lover the dude yeah. lived a very very interesting he's life a, he's let's just a, put it that a way he's a swinging guy yeah uh, <laughs> so he was actually looking to retire right around 1986 yeah. and they're like well we've, you've got to make this series so he was not in the best shape right I think he knew this I think everybody else knew this but he went ahead with it anyways and, and then his lawyer ends up coming in and, and messing around with things in his absence i think right so yeah yeah well we'll get we'll get there in a a little bit i'm just i'm I'm really setting the stage here i mean if you want the uh, really good details on this uh there is a short one hour documentary out there uh called chaos on the bridge of course done by shatner himself to cast a bad light on the next generation i don't think it was meant (laughs) to cast a bad light but there were there maybe some sour grapes stemming from that whole he didn't think i don't think shatner believed in Next Generation. No, and, and, and to be fair, at one point, Iris Stephen Bear, one of the writers for the for Next Generation, asked Shatner up front, like, what did you think when they said you were going to do this? And Shatner was like, yeah, I was a little pissed off at first, you know, yeah. because it's like, I'm, I am part of Star yeah. Trek and yeah. you can't do it without me. So, I mean, this is going on. The studio also has a lot of pressure uh, going on Roddenberry. So he's got a lot to fight with. Um, and he's not in good shape to do all this fighting. So uh, what he does is he creates the series Bible. And this is he doesn't of, create the series Bible. He helps create it. DC Fontana. Yes. And, and David Gerald. David Gerald but, created the series Bible. Yes. But it was with under Roddenberry's supervision. Yes. He was kind of, he well, held they, the final they, pen kind of And they of on re, it. rewrote it. It was their chance to kind of revisit the things that they didn't, you know, it was loosey-goosey a little bit back in, in the 60s and they were just kind of making it up as they went along. But it's been almost 20 years. So let's look at what you know warp speed does and let's yeah. let's talk about make the star logical, dates yeah. let's yeah. try and make things make sense because that's what the fans had kind of been doing there's like a, a secondary fan canon yeah. about all of this stuff that was growing up around the show so they just started incorporating it and made it canon and i think that's it's a rare opportunity for a show to have um have that ability to go back and rework the things that it needed to. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the one perhaps most important detail that Roddenberry really did get across in the in the in the Bible and in the first couple episodes in particular mm-hmm. um, is this idea that uh, in the 24th century, human conflict between one another is mm-hmm. over. Like we have we have evolved beyond petty personal bickering. Yeah, God help the married <laughs> couples of the time. But they, we've moved beyond that and. Therefore, the crew themselves will not be able to fight amongst any, each other. Yeah, any conflict that's arising on in an episode has to be from an outside source, yeah. um, which completely throws out all the Kirk, Spock, McCoy banter from yeah. season one, two, and three of, well, the original series <laughs> The original proper, series and the movies. And yeah. the movies. Um, but uh, it does hamstring the writers quite badly in the first few seasons when Roddenberry still had a bit of a death grip on on the show. Yeah. So. And, and as you mentioned already, Lindsay, uh, the writers that were brought back were, included David Gerald, who written Trouble Tribbles, mm-hmm. uh, Disa Fontana, who had written a bunch of original series and animated series episodes. Um, and they were brought back to, to really handle those kind of critical pieces and yeah. guide the show along the way. Um and we'll start, well, we'll talk about Encounter, Encounter and Farpoint uh, in a minute from the 
uh, viewer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, D. Fontana was tasked with writing the opening uh, pilot episode. Yep. It was Encounter at Farpoint. Then there was a huge back and forth between the studio and Roddenberry about, oh, should it be a two-parter, a one-parter? He's, he didn't want to do a two-parter. Then they forced it on him. He wound up taking her script and adding in the Q time. Uh, so she wrote line, all yeah. of the the, the Farpoint station, station Deneb four stuff, yes, yes. and then he shoehorns in Q, which is very Roddenberry to have you know the yeah, crew of the Enterprise do, yeah. meet God. Yes, you know once again. Yeah. Um, so the, of course, and then he said, "Oh well, the the studio needs me to have a writing credit, so we'll split it this way." Yeah. And then he was going to take it entirely. It went to like the Writers Guild of America. Uh, there was quite uh, a few interesting things that happened with the WGA. The WGA is very important in the early <laughs> running of the show. But yeah, it went to the WGA for a grievance and or no, as a as like a tribunal thing or something. Mm-hmm. And eventually they ruled that it was 50-50 and therefore they've been splitting uh, credit ever since uh, in perpetuity. So yeah. the other WGA one that we'll yeah. talk about now is is also another crazy behind the scenes story. And that has to do with Leonard uh, Mazelish. Leonard Mazelish, uh, Roddenberry's lawyer. So, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry, he, he comes in um, as kind of Roddenberry's proxy as we said he you know Roddenberry's not very well so when he can't be on the set Mazelish is and he rubbed it sounds like he rubbed everybody the wrong way yeah it sounds like a just complete jerk yeah and and one of the things that he did that is like maybe it doesn't ring for us as not being in the industry um it doesn't ring very like a lot of alarm bells but um if you're not a unionized writer you don't get to write scripts like it just doesn't happen but there's Mazelish actually writing or or editing DC Fontana's scripts or mm-hmm. David Gerald's scripts yeah. and he gets caught doing this and that gets brought up to the WGA the Writers Guild of America a very powerful entertainment um, union mm-hmm. as we'll see in season two of Star Trek yeah. The Next Generation um <laughs> And he's actually, like, escorted from the Paramount lot and is no longer allowed on set. And I think this, uh, I don't know how long Roddenberry kept him on as his lawyer, but it does sound, if you're watching um, Chaos on the Bridge or the Center Seat documentary Mm -hmm. series, it does sound like, um, or any of the other documentary attempts to chronicle this series, Um, Roddenberry was disheartened by the acrimony that was going on on set. And it, and it extended not just to this aspect of like writing the episodes, although there, there were, there was a lot of cast and, and not cast, um, behind the scenes turnover. Yeah. There were like 30 different writers who left the show. There, like when you think of a writer's room, I mean, there's usually a head writer, Mm -hmm. Um, Which this didn't have in the first season, by the way. Yeah, Roddenberry was supposed to be exactly. You would yeah. think it would be someone like Fontana or uh, Dave Gerald, but there wasn't. So it was like people every every week. It was somebody new writing these scripts, or it was five people writing the scripts. So it's kind of all over the place, and and people were getting their scripts re like manhandled by either Mazelish or Roddenberry. Um, they weren't allowed to write conflict. Um, there was just a lot of. It sounds like a lot of micromanagement of the writing process, which as writers, I think we can attest to would piss us off. <laughs> that would be very So there are a lot yeah. of writers leaving the show. Um, this also bothered Gene Roddenberry, I yeah. think, because this isn't 
you want you <laughs> I, I think he wanted the utopian workplace idea um yeah you couldn't have it behind yeah. the scenes so let's force it in front of the camera because uh that's that's maybe what he was aiming for and it didn't happen so um but even still like throughout all of this stuff the show does get produced it does go into first round syndication which um do you want to talk about how that actually works yeah i mean got some notes here about yeah that. just a few uh, small details like so it was i think it was 191 different stations in the first season uh signed on to air which is like obviously three or four in all the major mm-hmm. <laughs> centers is really all it takes to add up to that number pretty quickly um so uh yeah and it's it basically the the way the money flowed was uh each local station would keep seven minutes of the advertising uh Time? Money, yeah, time and money that that was associated with it, and five would go to Paramount for the show. I thought so, it was flipped, but or maybe way, it was maybe yeah, okay, yeah. You get you get forty two for whatever forty four minutes, forty four minutes of runtime, yeah. and then advertising, and then bumpers around yeah. that, and everything, right? So. uh then the only restriction, obviously, is that primetime is dictated by the networks yep. because that's when Friends and Cheers and all these other shows, well, not Friends in this case, but yeah, Cheers and Miami yet. Vice <laughs> and whoever, all the other uh, primetime. Yeah, yeah. Twin well, Peaks. Exactly. Right. In, a, in a little while. So those those time slots are, are set. And that's why, Lindsay, I didn't even realize, but at home, uh, oh, <laughs> when we watched, it was always yes, on at five o'clock. It was. It was the dinner time. Yeah, it, it was the dinner time show. Yeah. Because that was primetime in the Eastern. Well, no, but it was local, right? Like we oh, would get, yes, it was local we would always us. get the same prime time as everywhere else, That's right? True. So That's we, true. you know, we would yeah. get uh, Seinfeld at you know eight o'clock on Thursdays or whenever it was. Yeah, right? I think later in the nineties, it it kind of buffed out because I do remember there being like um, for big TV must watch TV type shows, there'd be a blackout. Yeah, and they wouldn't talk about it until it had aired on the West Coast. West Coast so they yeah. didn't. It's not like there was only one time that everybody was watching yeah, yeah, it. It yeah. did roll out through the time zones it would yeah. be like nine eight central yeah yeah yeah. eight thirty yeah. in newfoundland yeah yeah but yeah and, and so we'd always watch it at, at yeah. dinner time and yeah. that was just the, the way our home networks did, oh, so. i never thought about yeah. it yeah what well, station did it air on it was on here? itv itv global yeah, which is now global eight. yeah which did it go through another name in between did it get bought by somebody before global bought it i don't know i don't remember but anyways that's a, very that's a very niche. That's a very yeah very niche well question it's for the canadian i mean global is now across canada that's true yeah you know and ITV had sister stations elsewhere, I think. But anyways, uh, yeah, so that was that was the eventual release of it. Uh, going into that, though, a uh, big piece of the show, obviously, is the casting. Uh, we have to oh talk boy. about, uh, you know, the approach and the ideas behind this was that they didn't want to recreate Star Trek, but they kind of did want to <laughs> recreate Star Trek. You know, they were like, oh, we don't want to redo Captain Kirk. You can't you can't redo Captain Kirk. But the number, number one could be the Captain Kirk, Kirk character. Yeah. So we'll just flip the captain and make him old yeah. and wise and then we'll give the brash young first uh, officer, first officer the he'll be Kirk. the one sleeping with totally. all the ladies and, and fighting all we the bad need guys. a logical vulcan but we can't have a vulcan uh, what do you know we have an android let's what do you make know? him that's, an android that's so perfect um but there were a few uh i'd say adjustments beyond that i i think the the other thing is that they did have this trio of core characters they yeah. thought were going to be central which was picard Riker and Data, yeah, and then all the s all the all the other ones would essentially act as Sulu and Uhura and Scotty did in in the original series. Yeah, they wouldn't get any episodes focused on themselves. They would really just be supporting actors, right, and supporting characters. Um, and that kind of that you see that in the first season. There's a lot of that, and yes. we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, be, rounding it out, they wanted to have this child uh, on the show in order to which. Uh, 
you know, allow the younger viewers to see themselves. I on the think show. that was the role that Chekhov filled in. Like he was kind of the the he young the, guy, Beatles haircut that yeah. was like was going to appeal to the teens. Yeah, they skewed way younger yeah. by casting Will Wheaton as um, yeah. Wesley Crusher. Yeah, um, but he was going to be the like the childlike audience stand-in for the kids who were watching with their parents. Yeah, for the us, for us, yeah, of the time exactly. Yeah, uh, and sorry, just to talk a little bit about the date and record to start off uh Riker you know uh Jonathan Frakes obviously he'd been doing a bunch of like guest star tv type things before this uh he'd really kind of run the run the gamut of that uh and he was very very excited to get kind of this this big break uh he was he was jazzed for that uh Data Brent Spiner had done comedic stuff on television before he mm-hmm. what was that that show that he was on where he did all the voices and he was kind of like the night court it was night courts yes he did so, he played one character yeah but, but he it was a, a fun, recurring character. recurring yes. comedic character so he kind of viewed this and he approached data the same way like you want me to just be there to crack jokes it's right? interesting too also that uh like patrick stewart being a royal shakespeare company that um coming in being told this isn't going to get picked up, it's not going to be a big series, so you're going to get a season of it, you're going to make a lot of money, and then you'll go home. It's kind of the same way that I've uh, like heard Brent Spiner say that as well, mm-hmm. that it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to get a paycheck, and it's great, and then it'll be done. Like Nobody really thought this series was going to last very long. Um, will Wheaton was just excited to be there. I yeah. think it sounds like he was a fan of the original series, which not everybody on the cast was. No. Um, famously, Patrick Stewart had no idea. <laughs> no idea which I, I don't know how you exist in well he's british <laughs> anyways continuing let's on. talk let's talk about some of the other cast members yes who yeah have so been brought on so there was uh marina Sirtis and uh denise crosby. denise crosby who originally were uh going to play the opposite roles of one yes. another so marina Sirtis was going to be tashi yar uh roddenberry saw them asked them to reread for the other roles and it famously just worked. So uh, that swappity do happened. Um, and then uh, Gates, McFadden. Gates McFadden as Dr. Crusher was originally going to be a teacher. I guess mm-hmm. they went through a couple of characters could be the teacher. They really wanted to have a teacher on the oh, Yeah, yeah and the like civilian crew. character. I think they yeah. wanted, because they really wanted to have Picard have a love interest on ship. Yes. And you can't do that when you're both serving, I guess. Yeah. Although you can. You can. But they it was a little forbidden, so... But yeah. they made her a doctor, and I think that works out really well because it... Um, you needed to have a ship's doctor anyway, right? Because yeah. it, it's... You have one on the original series, so you're yeah. going to have to have one now. Yeah. Um, making her a woman? Cool. The other thing that um, they weren't sure about that worked out really well in the writer's favor was the Worf's character, who they didn't actually want. Roddenberry didn't actually Roddenberry want. Roddenberry didn't want. Fontana uh, and, and Geralt did. Yeah, yeah, they were like, uh, let's have... Uh, Klingon on the bridge. Nope, not going to happen. Okay, let's put a woman in charge of security. Or let's put a woman in... <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yar was going to take over the captain's chair. And then when Roddenberry rewrote the script... Really? Yeah, it was Worf that was in there. That's how Worf appeared in the show, was oh. because he wouldn't allow Yar to take over Well, either over the way, it's, yeah. it worked out. And I think that's something we alluded to in our um, Star Trek Six episode, mm-hmm. that the end of hostilities between the Federation and the Klingons is what allows Worf to play such an important role. And we mm-hmm. do get in this season some good um, hints at what the Klingon like. yeah. stuff that yeah. goes on, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, finally, the, you've already alluded to it, Lindsay, but Patrick Stewart as, as Picard, yeah. you know, it's kind of a 
semi-famous story at this point. Uh, one of the producers, whose name I always forget, uh, was at UCLA, heard Picard, <laughs> heard Stewart, sorry, uh, giving like a talk to some other students and stuff like that. Uh, and he was like, oh, this is our guy. Brought him in. Roddenberry wanted nothing to do with him. Because uh, he was bald. Because he was bald. And he actually made him read with a wig. Uh, and Which then didn't work. Didn't work. And then he called him back in to do it once more without the wig. And he's like, yeah, okay, this is our guy. Um, and I don't get the... I don't get the uh the prejudice well it was you got jordy laforge we didn't talk about jordy laforge lavar oh yeah arguably the most famous actor yeah Yeah. it's like the cole meanie of deep space nine because he was really the largest name on the show at that point but he wasn't a big star no but but he was the biggest star that they had yeah um but jordy laforge is blind why can't you have like they they almost looked at baldness like a disability like no one's the 80s i know you know, it, it was no, and it was it was literally a studio thing, almost as much as it was a Roddenberry thing. They were like, "No, you got you got to have a really good looking, classically good looking dude mm-hmm. in the captain's chair, or else nobody's going to want to watch it." Not knowing Patrick that Stewart, Stewart is really fucking hot, you know, and it's just yeah, like the like, baldness works, on. like it just it totally does. Anyways, it's silly, but um, yeah. So eventually he got it, and when one of the studio execs, I don't remember where I heard this story, but someone was like, "Ah, well, he can't be the captain because by the twenty fourth century, surely they've cured but baldness," yeah. and then the response was no by the 21st century they no, don't care yeah. yeah so it's it's a nice little touch and and that's how we arrived at the crew we did um yeah it was it's a weird little setup for all of them to arrive where they did but it worked out i think the um filming was long and hard as everybody says in television mm-hmm. um but it allows this cast to and the crew to become very very close yeah. and it's friendships that have maintained throughout the years i yeah. think um unlike on the original series where you get a lot of a lot more egos and, yeah, yeah there's there like nobody likes Shatner and there's <laughs> fights and like Sulu isn't on the bridge in the last few scenes or last few movies because he can't stand working with Shatner <laughs> yeah. and it's like okay um that doesn't happen it does it sounds like it doesn't happen at all yeah. with the next generation crew yeah. um or the, the cast I guess yeah. um but it, it wasn't always like that I guess they're they're probably famous story again that um patrick stewart coming from again a royal shakespeare company background background thinks that you know actors need to be serious on set at all times and everybody else was just cracking jokes and playing pranks and he thought it was terribly unprofessional and got really mad at them um but eventually he he joined in on the fun and yes they they, um, i have it in my notes they taught his cold english heart how to love ah like Joni mitchell did for emma thompson yeah i mean and and you know, uh, Stuart, when we went to see the whole cast at uh, Comic-Con in Calgary, uh, you know, that was one of the stories he brought up. Yeah. was like, yeah, you know, they never let me forget that speech. Yeah, like yeah. In the f- later years when I did loosen up, they would always just see, well, we're not here to have fun, you know, whenever he would get a little <laughs> I don't remember right? that moment. Oh, really? Um, I was terribly sick yeah, when you we were, went to visit. You were quite when I went to see The yeah. Next Generation. Yeah. It was the 25th anniversary or something. I think it was the 25th uh, yeah, anniversary. Yeah, next generation. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Man, so I had the flu. Yeah, you were pretty sick. So so I have the photos to remember it, but I and don't. And my big brain, which yeah. never forgets anything. Never. Not once Not have you one name have I forgotten anything. In seven years on this podcast. For instance, I remember that Encounter at Farpoint first aired on September 28th, 1987, <laughs> because it's written in my notes. Yes. Uh, so it was, a, it was a two-part episode, and it was a big success. 15.7 million viewers, 15. according to the Nielsen rating. Nielsen rating. Uh, I've seen numbers crap. that say 27. So the Nielsens are one way of categorizing that. I don't yeah, know. that yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got to imagine there's more. Well, d- how did it work? 
internationally then because it aired in yeah. Canada. What about across the pond? It didn't. It it was a few years yeah, before it came out there, right? I believe so. Yeah, we'll we'll have to look that up and maybe leave, yeah. leave a note. In but that number would only be the in US, the states, obviously. Yeah. Okay, but for comparison's sake, uh, Twin Peaks for our longtime listeners, yes. Twin Peaks pilot brought in thirty four point oh, six, okay. so more than double. Yeah. Um. So again, not quite that that to that level, but mm-hmm. um. Again, this was outside of prime time on you know not necessarily every city even had yeah. a, a network showing it at this yeah. point. Um, so it was still a very successful movie or su- successful first run. And it stayed that way through the whole first season. It averaged about 10 million view- viewers per episode. Wow. And again, for Twin Peaks reference point, uh, the low points of season two, like Diane Keaton directing uh, <laughs> these, these ones that nobody was watching. They had, they went down to about 7.4 million, which is a big drop from the, 34, 34 yeah. but still it, it was it was decent but it yeah. wasn't great and but for, that's maybe that's the difference between a network show and a show that's in syndication and also an, a show that's not in prime time i mean yeah. again this is this is showing outside of the prime time hours when yeah. people are are watching Supposedly television watching, so, so so it is it's a little different uh but it did very well and uh ratings we'll talk about them in the future i guess we seasons. also have to admit that there was a lot of fan pushback against the series as yeah. well so this is doing well in spite of a lot of original series fans saying you know it's not my enterprise if it's not kirk it's not my there's no other captain exactly yeah so i mean which is something the star trek fandom is quite good at doing yes as Um, we see ripping out their hair when things don't go the way they want it to but this i mean spoilers foreshadowing for future episodes (laughs) this is (laughs) became the new standard for um for star trek so it it they rewrote the series Bible in more ways than one yeah. by um, making the show. And it's probably one of the best sci-fi um, television shows yeah, of all time. in yeah, history. So. Yeah. yeah. We're not friends. You wound me, mon capitaine. So this is a perfect segue into today's uh, or this week's sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you've always wanted to uh, criticize the, 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 TV show of your dreams mm-hmm. when they piss you off or or just have your voice heard. Um, I mean, you know how it is. You're cruising through the quadrant with your crew, um, trying to fill the long hours by finding some creative way to hand in your research project, your high school teacher, uh, blogging about your adventures on the holodeck with the handsome Klingon serving under you, um, starting a Lonely Hearts dating service in the hopes of being noticed by the hunk in the captain's chair who accidentally widowed you 16 years ago, um, <laughs> launching a podcast about positronic matrices with your bestie down in engineering. You know, all of these things that you could be doing in addition to complaining about um, your favorite television television show. Um, Not everyone. It's the 24th century, but that doesn't mean everybody has good coding experience to get onto the galactic wide web. So what's a lowly crew (laughs) member to do? CubeSpace has got you covered. <laughs> this week's sponsor is CubeSpace. Their simple-to-use mm. interface allows you the creativity to build the space you want without worrying about all the little details. Choose from a variety of layouts and just start typing or voice commanding, I guess. I don't know. Tech is so different these days. There's easy e-commerce options to built right into the site. So when it comes time to turf your uniform, and let's be honest, it's going to happen sooner or later, you'll have a convenient portal to rehome it to the highest bidder. Probably a Ferengi, let's be real. With CubeSpace, it's so easy to set up a presence online and start living the life you wanted to live yesterday, today. (laughs) Use our code BIXCUBE20 for 20% off your first page. 
Why is it always 20%? I don't know, because it always is. It 10%, is. 5%. We'll change it up. No, Maybe it'll be... 95% off. <laughs> Lifetime subscription. Yeah. percent off. I don't know. We just... They give us the scripts. We just read them. We write them. We don't... Nobody. Cube space doesn't exist. I mean, it totally exists. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. So, Lindsay, first high-level thoughts on Star Trek. One sentence, go. Next Generation Season 1, obviously. One sentence or yeah, one word? One sentence. One sentence. Could have been better. <laughs> That's being generous. <laughs> I think mine that they wrote what, wrote down was rough. Rough. <laughs> it's, it's one rough. word. Okay, well, it's still a sentence. Are, but are we... It's are, rough. Is this a, okay, there, but are we... I, if it was a competition, I could have done better. <laughs> You're right. I didn't lay out all the rules. But anyways, yeah, there, there's no way around it. Uh, yeah, could have been better is fair. Um, the chaos off the screen that we kind of went into at the start is definitely visible on yeah, screen. It's hard for it not to be. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the the blame for it really does sit at, at Roddenberry's feet because yeah. for a number of factors, I don't think he was up to running the show Mm-mm. physically, obviously. Clearly. Um, but there wasn't anybody in his place who had the authority to do so either. Well, so even give, though, yeah. yeah, even though you have, you've brought back these people who have been, you know, stalwart writers people you could count on um in the original series you're not actually letting the reins go to mm-hmm. let them do their thing so there's no one voice that there's no showrunner there's nobody to rein things in when they do get out of hand like you get in later seasons when you actually do have a showrunner yeah and, and to be fair there was a someone was kind of handed the reins about halfway through i think about 16 episodes into the writing or something like that yeah I forget his name now of course uh but he wound up being a oh, uh, showrunner um, for s- the second season as well um, and he kind of laid some seeds later on in the first yeah, season. Yeah, and he left after season two. Yeah, he had a he was very done clash with, with Gates McFadden, didn't want... He clashed Maurice with, Hurley. Yes, Maurice Hurley. Hurley, yes, yeah. So he, he did eventually get into that role, mm-hmm. but for the first half of the season... It's got Roddenberry's fingerprints all over it, yeah. and it's really kind of rough that way. Um, so his his uh, physical limitations, uh, and also just his writing style. He's his skills in my mind had kind of atrophied because mm-hmm. he hadn't been doing much writing. He'd had so many ideas for the Star Trek movies rejected, and you know they never took his notes on anything for Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. or anything going forward after the motion picture. They really didn't want to let him do anything, and I can kind of see why because everything he touches is kind of samey and yeah and like, not very engaging like you could imagine the ideas the the kernel at the center of the idea is maybe a good idea but like it's like george lucas being given free reign to do what he wants with <laughs> yeah. the prequels and then you get this rambling mess of jar jar binksiness and yeah. it's like that happens with roddenberry too mm-hmm. to an extent and um and it's it's something that may be better suited the 1960s yeah um yeah, or style, when yeah. when you're establishing the genre and you can kind of get away with stuff like that but and now people have come to expect a certain caliber of action and dialogue well, and story well, yeah and, and character creation and stuff like yeah. that and, and we commented on this all the time while we were re-watching season one and we did unfortunately re-watch much of season one to in preparation oh, for it's this not that bad. it's pretty bad uh and we we said all the time it's like yeah. well this feels like an original series yeah so, it, like, absolutely it, from top to bottom like yeah. the the way the dialogue flows and the way the plots are set up and yeah. the way they're resolved and the costumes and everything it yeah. feels like an updated original series um and it really and it, doesn't find its footing until you yeah. get those like like Michael Pillar, God bless Michael Pillar, mm-hmm. um, Ronald D. Moore, Brennan Brega, Iris Stephen Bear, Melinda Snodgrass. Yeah. Like these are people who come in and start like 
making sense of it yeah. and, and really giving it that that new direction that the, that the show needed. So, yeah. and that's all like we'll talk about that. That's more season two and really into three when it really comes out. So until those writers arrive, though, the show didn't mm-hmm. really know how to approach uh, the next generation era, especially with the characters and those limitations about you know nobody can can have conflict yeah like how do you write a show how do you write anything without conflict it's like one of the main elements of storytelling and it when uh chaos on the bridge uh ronald d moore explicitly said like i loved it because it forced me to do things differently and and approach it with a different idea And, and to be honest like we're going to talk about this more in future seasons, but I love that part of the next generation that the the crew comes together. The, you never feel like there's going to be a fracture in what's best at any sure. point in time. Everybody's working towards a singular and singular it, goal. It is like the ideal found family show as well, right? Where everybody yeah. gets along and there's not really any reason to suspect that there's fighting when they yeah they i mean leave the bridge jada's gonna you know implant geordie with nano machines that yeah kill but them. the next episode they're they're, fine. they're, they're best buds again because they the understood episode, well and that's the thing like there's a certain amount of like just everyone's willing to forgive and mm-hmm. and like the, you know what a lot of people don't get in their family is unconditional acceptance yeah. of like i understand where you were coming from i'm here sure, to help you and sure. continue there's a really positive uh, progressive feel to that 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 does work in the hands of of writers who can yeah. manage it. And I feel like watching those documentaries recently and being like, oh, everyone's like, well, how do you write that? Well, other people did, like yeah, like you know, DC Fontana and and Gerald and and uh, Hurley to an extent too. They were all kind of like, I don't really know how this is going to work, so let's try these things here and there. Mm-hmm. And they never really nailed it down. It wasn't until the other writers came in and they had some different ideas and didn't sure. have the the original series, uh, you know, weight on their back, I guess. I can see it that. Helps. So I don't know. Uh, I think it's 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 an origin of those issues, but it's also kind of a, a setting the stage for for what's to come. So I think the biggest issues in the worst episodes revolve around like there's there's way too much plot focus. Yeah. The, the plot dictates the story not the other way around and the best stories have to be character based or character focused Um, especially when you're doing episodic TV it just becomes too unbelievable when you have every single week there's a new planet and the same thing is going to happen the same people (laughs) are going to go down to the planet and the same you know, it's it's no longer about character development. It's no longer about discovering who they are. How would Riker really react in the situation versus how would Jordy react in the situation, yeah. um, which you get in later seasons. Yeah. In the original, the first two seasons, first season especially, yeah. that just doesn't happen. No, no. it's And you made a note here in our notes about they rehashed a lot of the 1960s stuff. Oh, my stuff. God. Like, to the... You, the the naked now and the naked time are like almost beat for beat identical with yep. a f- very few changes. It's like they didn't even try to hide the fact that they yep. were just ripping off their own material, yeah, which I guess is a way to endear yourselves to fans, but it doesn't work. In my opinion, those are the worst episodes. As fun as they are, as campy and cringe as they are, um, they're it's the original stuff that I come for for Trek. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And and again, yeah, it feels like you're not really getting. If you wanted to experience that camp and that cringe, yeah, you can already do it in the original series. Exactly. So why, just why are wait an back? hour and they'll be replaying it on the same station you're watching TNG on. Yeah, and, and another <laughs> exactly, yeah, and another another uh, way that that manifests is there's a lot of like, <laughs> like the way like I mentioned it, it's the way the the plot kind of gets dealt with and they they don't actually directly address the most obvious path 
towards resolving the plot that okay. like I'm like any viewer would think of. They don't yeah. do that. Instead, they dance around it for 20 minutes, yeah, waste a bunch a, of time. There's a lot of sitting around staring at screens. Yeah, which is something we complained about a lot in the original series when we yes. were watching it. Yeah. But then it happens again in like the saucer separation scene in yeah. Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Like. Okay, I get it. This is cool. You've got a ship that can Lego itself apart. Mm -hmm. Like, fantastic. Do you really need to devote five minutes of screen time to everybody just sitting around, crossing their fingers, hoping it works? Yeah, and Picard giving that lean forward, oh, this is so cool kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. You're telegraphing something to the audience that we're supposed to feel, that we're already feeling. Now you're just... You're making it worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know, like that that's definitely a holdover from, holdover from the 60s. And I have a question, like I don't know, was that just more acceptable in the 60s well, to I have think, that kind of I mean, slowness to a show? Possibly. I think it was also, you know, again, it was science fiction. A lot of it, you couldn't, they didn't necessarily have the technology to actually show it. So they had to, ah, okay. you know, have the characters react to it and say like, oh, this is the cool, exciting thing that you, we can't show you in a lot of detail. So we're just going to lean forward and, and right. talk about it. Right. So I feel like that's kind of still implanted when they actually did have, I mean, they didn't have the budget. We didn't talk about much of the budget, but again, this yeah. was a very cheap. Aside, aside from Encounter at Four Point. Well, it had quite a big budget. Well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, because they had to build all the sets. Like yes. that's thing. Like that's the other reason they needed twenty six episodes. They needed mm-hmm. a full season run was because if it was only thirteen, yeah, there's they no would, point. Spending they wouldn't the money. Yeah, they wouldn't make enough money over the course of the thing to pay back those initial investments in yeah. the sets. In you know the models, uh, the models, and, and all that. Yeah, all that stuff that that costs a lot of money up front. So, um, yeah. So I feel like that's that's kind of like the origin of that, but mm-hmm. it uh it manifested in some weird ways yeah. in this season. Like even though you have not the greatest special effects there's some good special effects there being are. employed in in the first season yeah. um like well, even, even in far points yeah. yeah the whole thing with the, the space jellyfish. jelly and yeah. the um down on the planet and everything like that like that works so you even, don't even necessarily Q's courtroom is like yeah. yeah it looks a little shady and rickety but it's also like in a post-apocalyptic earth situation like yeah it's going to be shady and rickety right? and like it so works, like, you right? can you've proven that you don't need to have people sitting around watching nothing happen yeah. for five minutes so I don't know. Is it a budgetary thing? Is it a padding thing? There does seem there, to feel yeah. like Encounter at Farpoint is a bad example for that because well, it no, doesn't happen a lot in the rest of the. It does. There's a it few. It does, episodes. but not not to that extent. There, there's. I remember the. Uh, encounter with the Ferengi the first time and there's just a lot of like them staring at him being like I wonder what's going on and like in a regular season four next generation episode they would have figured out what was going on about five seconds in it took them like ten minutes to do this yeah and it it made no sense it it had nothing to the plot well it it did seem like it was just stretching out the thing because they didn't know how to create a conflict with these characters and the the plots are not like later seasons get much more complex and the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. Here it feels like the stakes are high because they're we're told they're high. We don't actually feel it's not like the first time we meet the Borg and we understand that that's a very yeah. serious threat. Yeah. Meeting the Ferengi, we're told or we're kind of shown that this is no, supposed to be a big <laughs> Well, like, like oh, they don't come out and dangerous. say this is the new series big bad, but But they but really build it up through dialogue they do. only they for do. the first like 10 minutes. It's like and 10, then and minutes. then you get to them and, and it's kind of a letdown. So that's also something that and not that that's a holdover from the 60s show, but it's it feels very um amateurish yeah yeah well again it feels like the writers didn't really know how to write a 43 minute 
45, 46, mm-hmm. 48 minute episode with these restrictions around conflict and around uh, the technology that they made. Maybe they didn't have enough money for, you know, big sure. special effects and stuff like that. So they, they kind of limited it, right? So the characters are also not very well understood. Ooh. Even though we have the basis of all the characters presented, Worf is a warrior and Picard is stoic and Riker is take charge and Data is logical and um, Troy is Sensitive. a feeler. She's a feels um, thing. Crusher's a mom. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, okay. The women are not very <laughs> yeah, we'll talk well-rounded. I, I wonder why that is. Yeah. But the, the, basis, the basis is there. But you don't get, because the plots are so shallow, the characters are just reacting to things that are happening yeah. to them because of the situation they've been put in, not because of anything that they've naturally um, brought about. The or, yeah, yeah. yeah, so um, there's a lot of, and that happens with every season, Unless you're talking about Twin Peaks, where the characters feel like they're actually like well thought out, rounded characters from the beginning, yeah. um, you're going to have a, a feeling out period where you're going to figure out like who are these people. Well, and, and it it really comes across here because yeah, I don't think Roddenberry and the fact that Fontana and Gerald left before the season was even close to being finished. And they had created these characters in this Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they weren't around to, to really like answer those questions. Yeah, yeah, like like nobody really had a good grasp on them until you started getting into season two. So this first one, especially, I find Data and Riker, I mean, there's a famous quote, again, semi-famous among Trekkies at least, of uh, Jonathan Frakes where in between season one and two, someone pulled him aside and was like, give us a little more Frakes, a little less whatever the hell you were doing with Riker <laughs> in the first season. Because Riker's just an asshole. He's he's, yeah. he's belligerent and he just barks orders at everyone and yeah. gets angry at them when they he take does. up time and stuff. There's none of, you know, the jovial, joking, uh, yeah. approachable Riker that makes sarcastic him... Sarcastic smile yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and even the relationship that Picard and, and Riker have is very strange. Like, yes. they don't really feel... There's a lot of antagonism. There's... Um, a sense that, and this is mentioned in other places as well, that they didn't really know who the main character was. Is it the stoic captain or is it the go-getter? younger. Yeah, yeah, on the away missions, yeah. right? Data as well. Yeah. I think is, um, you know, it's clear that he's the android character who has no feelings. Um, but, but with a lot of feelings in the yeah, first season. Like, there's like, a lot of, like, facial expressions and, like, yeah. expressions of, like, Which, things that feel emotional. I mean... To Brent Spiner's credit, he does. He's he's far and away one of the best actors on the show. I think yeah. he does a really great job with Data as the series goes yeah. on. Um, but there aren't a lot of like humanoid robots that have been depicted in 1987. No. So you're kind of again creating from scratch yep. this character who has no emotions, and you are an emotive person. Yeah, like well, you're a human a, being. How well, do you do that? Well, and his his a lot of his comedy can be from like yes. yeah, from facial expressions from yes. those kind of like ooh, what's going on? You know, kind of. But kind not of stuff. not in the first season where it's like there there are little smarmy jokes. He feels very like in the in the very first season or very first episode of the first season. I'm like, that's not Data, that's Lore. Because the way that he plays Data in the first few episodes, episodes is yeah. how he plays Lore later on. Yeah. Um, 
which, you know, if you've been watching the series, if you know what we're talking about, then you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Worf and LaForge yeah. basically don't have oh, much of a role at those all. Those poor guys. I mean, Worf does get the one episode with the he Klingons, does. which we'll, we might talk a little bit about. But LaForge is just kind of, he's there. just there. I mean, he's cracking little jokes with Data. And yeah, stuff but like, like that. nothing, he's got nothing to do aside yeah. from a few, like, he's a helmsman, first of all. Yeah. A red shirt. Yeah. Um, Dangerous. Dangerous. So he, he doesn't have. Once you get him in engineering, he can become oh, the he, chief engineer, and then he's like he has an identity. Yeah, yeah. he it's awesome, and, and and you know, Lavar Burton does a great job with whatever is put in front of him. Yeah, but especially it's considering strange. he can't use his eyes. To, yeah, you know, he's like, got one of those really, '80s hair bands yeah, around. Which, yeah. uh, that's what I always use those hair bands for. I never knew how to use the banana clips. I just put them on my face. Yeah, they're visors. Yeah, absolutely. Visors. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he they did what they could with it. Uh, same with uh, Michael Dorn as as Worf. I mean, yeah. he he really didn't have much to do there. Uh, and you know, there's some memeable moments like when he gets electrocuted on the shuttle. Yeah. And he's growling and stuff. And the this is sex. You know, <laughs> like, like those kind of comments are. Yeah. You know, they 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 serve a, a purpose, and he does a good job with them. Um, I like I love that he was you know a source of comedy as well i think he kind of intuited that i don't know if that was necessarily how he's written because in like the very first couple episodes he doesn't have much of that and no. it kind of comes out gradually um let's talk about crusher let, yar and troy because yeah. i think that they're the ones who are most poorly served and it shows like Absolutely. um crusher is as you said a mom first she doesn't really she's not shown to be a very effective doctor even <laughs> like that was the joke on the set yeah. was that you know you don't want to go to crusher's table because you'll die you'll die um so that's not encouraging <laughs> yar has probably the most given to her i think there's the most potential there i would argue i, I don't know because i think it started off that way with a, a few early episodes including kind of code of honor which mm-hmm. i haven't watched and so that's long, the racist one. That's the super racist episode, <laughs> which we might talk about later. But uh, there's, you know, there's there's hints of it there, and I feel like yes, they set up her character to, to yeah, do a lot, yeah. but then they, they don't do it. Anything. Nothing happened with her. No, that's what I mean. Like, there's the potential to have a really well-rounded character. She's this this plucky young woman who comes from a like deserted, horrible, yeah, backwards colony. Planet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, like that that. Yeah, she's kind of like an outsider, and you can yeah. like she has like a rage to her, yeah, um, that that makes a lot of sense, and, and, and can be really interesting. It's like for the eighties, there's a lot of people in the fan um, fan community who are like Tasha Yar is is lesbian coded, mm, um, yeah, because of the way that she's presented. But I think even if you don't go down that road, she's still a very unique female character. Mm-hmm. Um, even in a modern context, she's. She's not butch. She's not feminine. She trods that line really well. Yeah. And I think she she's has a depth to her. And that's credit to Denise Crosby, I think. Yeah. Doing yeah. whatever she can with that role. Marina Sirtis doesn't get that with Troy. She doesn't get that with Troy until like season seven, which yeah. is really sad. It because is so Troy sad. is one of my favorite characters. Because of season seven, though. That's yeah, I know. Thing. And like she she's... I always loved the idea of of her being an empath and not necessarily being able to read minds, but just getting a sense of things. I thought that was really cool and witchy and and that appealed to me as a kid. But see, and we watched one of the episodes. I don't remember which one it was now, but there was one where she was literally giving Picard a blow by blow of like, he's lying now. He's kind of telling the truth. He's he's hiding something here. Like it was like, and it was like, this is, this is what she should be doing. Absolutely. How how is it? Why is it every species she comes across? She's like, I can't can't sense anything. Yeah. It's like, like, come on. You're, 
you're beautiful to look at now. You've just become yeah, set she, decoration. Yeah. And that's not fair because she could have been a much stronger character throughout. But the 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 writers on the show and I'm not blaming any of the writers for this because I don't think anybody sets out for this. <laughs> but I think because you had a revolving door of writers, there was nobody to really sit down and say, we're going to flesh these characters out. Yep. We're going to focus on the trio that works. We're going to focus on the plots that work. And mm-hmm. that's it. Yep. Everybody else gets shit thrown at them yep. maybe once a season. And that's it. Yep. So it's, it's not necessarily because they're setting out to be sexist but it does come across as sexist when you realize that you know um Gates McFadden has to fight for the respect that she feels she should be given and that her other actors are being given and she is told she's shown the door yeah. um, at the end of season one yeah. and there's a, a sense that you know if one, uh, Patrick did, Stewart had done that it wouldn't have been the same no of course story. not no and I mean to be fair he is the literally the captain of the ship it's, it's yeah, a but, slightly okay, different thing okay Burton wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened if no, he had no. you know well maybe I mean I don't, <laughs> it's hard I don't to tell know. But, but I mean and also so yes uh Gates McFadden was out at the end of the season, so Denise was Denise Crosby. Well. Obviously, she asked to be let go. Though, yeah, she I was think. just like, "I'm not, I'm not acting." Like she, yeah. there's, she has a remark she makes all the time where it's like, "I was, I asked them to just make a cast of my legs yeah. and just leave them on the set because I was standing behind, you know, I'm, my legs are the only thing in the shot mm-hmm. for like 80 percent of the time yeah. I'm on set, and the other 20 percent of the time I'm not even doing any lines. I get like three lines an episode yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. So it was so either write something good for me or I'm gone. Yeah, and write me in or write me out. They didn't. <laughs> they were like yeah. write her well, out. Right then, around. Yeah. And she's given a very unceremonious famously yeah you know, skin of evil um kills her off with a thunderbolt like yeah yeah lightning bolt thunder doesn't kill does thunder kill people you could probably wreck some eardrums at least would that kill a person i don't know if they ruptured internally i don't know anyways yeah armist just shoots her and she dies yeah she dies yeah um and Lindsay, you have a you have a good uh question here because yeah. in their notes you were you were saying like well yeah they're trying to replicate the original series with you know a core trio and everybody yeah. else kind of lingering on the sidelines um and they were worried about fan backlash and all these things uh so would we feel this way if they didn't renew it for season two yeah uh and it's a good question because like it does feel like if you look at the season one just as a standalone thing which you can do i know a lot of people say just skip season one if you're yeah. gonna watch tng but if you do watch it beginning to end um it does feel like just a a retrod of the original series and if it had been the only thing that we got from a next generation star trek series if it ended in 1988 mm-hmm. um i think i don't well i certainly don't think that we would be sitting here talking about it no. i think it it it's a it's a poor imitation of what at that point in time was a classic television show that everybody wanted to see um renewed or replicated yeah, in replicated, some way yeah, right exactly yeah and so it doesn't have the there's not a lot of things that stand out. We'll talk about the the big episodes that we think are worth watching and, yeah. and have good moments in them, but there aren't a lot. And the things that we remember from season one are the bad things. The bad things <laughs> or the things that we already saw in the original series. Series, yeah. Right. So I just don't think it would have the legendary status. I certainly don't think we would be No, I, I don't there think w- maybe wouldn't have even been any additional Star Treks being made. No, right? I, I, I no, there wouldn't be. I don't think if if this Stars had made enough money. Trek? Is it like Attorneys General? Yes. Stars, Stars Trek. Trek. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, 
And I think that's it's worth mentioning that uh, the biggest shift it yeah. even started in season two. I think the first episode of season two we'll talk about next. Well, it next starts episode. in season one. There's a few episodes that are like, like this. Well, the, more, the shift yeah. from char- from plot driven to character driven. Yeah. When you start getting like everybody knows, oh, this is a, a Wharf episode. This is yeah. a Riker episode. Yeah. This is a Data episode. Yeah. Um, they continued through all of the nineties. Oh, track. and like, it and it yeah. and it continued. Yeah, DS Nine, Voyager. Um, they all had even strange new worlds to this day. It has episodes that are focused on a character or a conflict that a character is experiencing yeah. with another character or with whatever. And that's something that you don't get in season one mm-hmm. until you get to the end. Yeah, there's some. Um, I mean, West gets the where no one has gone before. Episode. I mean, West gets every episode to an extent, but more in, the, in that one for yeah. sure. Yeah. And Worf gets the, the one the, about glory. Yeah. Honor. Honor. They're all Not about honor, it's but it's like uh, Rogers and Hammerstein. <sighs> what's what's Gilbert and Sullivan? Gilbert and Sullivan. They're all Rogers about they're all about uh, duty. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, those are the kind of big issues. Some of the smaller issues we notice that are recurring. Definitely Wesley coming to the rescue. I mean, everybody complains I about it. I don't hate that as much as other people do. I, I, I question your because taste. as a kid watching it, that was I was like, I want to be the kid who saves the Enterprise. Like now, I'm 38. <laughs> I'm looking back on it, and I'm like. Well, okay, like, no, you really shouldn't be letting the 14-year-old pilot the ship. But as a six-year-old, I was like, dang, I can do Wes that. is cool. <laughs> so, I mean, I get what they were going for, and I don't hate it as much. I think Wes gets shit on a lot. Yeah. And Will Wheaton bears the brunt of that. A lot of that. And I think that's really, really tragic. It's really shitty. And, like, the way his hand, he was handled throughout the show oh, as God. a child actor, just terrible across the board, but... We will get to that in future episodes. Yes. Um, the other thing that really bothered me that came up was the, <laughs> the Ferengis. Yeah, the fucking Ferengi. I mean, because on paper, and again, I feel like this is Roddenberry putting his nose in yeah, and fucking it up a yeah. little bit. Is it's a good idea on paper. But well, it's, it's a good idea on paper. Yeah. And it was his idea. Like he he yeah. wanted the Ferengi to be the main bad guys for tracks. And the main the, bad guys are going to be are going to be capitalists. capitalists. So the evil that the next generation is fighting is capitalism. Yeah. And then what do you do? You give them a story that has nothing to do with capitalism, nothing to do with the Ferengi as their nemesis. Nope. They're just guys who appear in an all white screen with teeth and then they and then have with their, little, their little things and they're ridiculous and they're and yeah. terribly racist too like yeah. i mean the, the, the anti-semitic tropes are not oh. hidden with the frangies no. so it was it's all around bad and i feel like that's a terrible shame because i mean ds9 obviously uh redeems them, redeems Armin them. Armin 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 he plays an original frangie yeah. in the very first episode that they show up yeah. in so he kind of felt terrible for it well and and like a a responsibility to make it better and he does and he does um but even in ds9 there are still some pretty bad jewish stereotypes that show up and it's like could you not like (laughs) the evil capitalists are greedy uh yeah yeah, anyway it's bad the fact that they usually hired jewish actors to play them is is part of the worst but anyways anyway uh beyond that there's also the costuming uh like one of the yeah. documentaries i can't remember which one was like yeah the fact that they brought back the original costume guy in the did. 60s that's right everything feels like the 60s but in sheen now in like yeah. an 80s glitter yeah. you know like kind of vibe. disco ball 
like Tasha Yar in um, yeah, Naked the Naked Now, now yeah. or uh, the planet where the sex planet, the sex planet. Well, the one where Wes almost dies, the sex and and punishment, sex planet. and punishment, planet. the BDSM, BDSM planet. planet. Yeah, thank you. Um, or the one where Riker wears the tunic and and like oh, is a woman? Yeah, 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 because because he's in the matriarchal society. Well, right, but, yeah, but yeah. it's all very like very eighties, very revealing. Yes, very. It's still very sexist somehow. Even yes. when Riker's wearing it, I'm like, that is sexist. Like, you know, <laughs> well, it's like feel very it's uncomfortable. Like, well, it's kind of like because they, it's still a male gaze just cast yeah. upon men. Yeah. So it's like, well, the you know, sexy You're is show just boobs. Yeah, sexy is just showing chest and yeah. like you know, and that's and it's it. It's all about you know, sculpted this and that. Yeah. Not even sculpted. It not, just not show in, the abs, yeah, right? Not not in face. He was he was never a cut man. He was a, he's a big dude, strong dude, but not you know ripped or anything like that. He's yeah, he had a different he had a very eighties yes. Burt Reynolds kind yes, of masculinity. He did. Yeah. Um, although I have to say I love the skirts and I love that they put the men in skirts. I yeah, thought that was a nice bit of absolutely. gender bending yep. that they should have kept up a little bit. Especially because skirts are just so freeing. Like Why if you've you know never that? worn a skirt, you don't know what you're missing. We've all worn towels around the house at the very least. It's just nice. But you have to speak up. When you're wearing a towel. Yeah. Otherwise, Obviously. how can anybody hear you? Yeah, honestly. Um, and so to summarize this, this long-winded complaint about the first season, uh, Patrick Stewart has a thing like that you mentioned, Lindsay, uh, an anecdote of like, well, it's never going to work, obviously. And here we saw it really kind of didn't. Yeah. And yet... It did it continue. Did. Uh, well, it, it worked well enough to continue. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about the episodes that we we like and that caused it to continue. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta marvel at the fact that it finished. It's at all. just like blind shit luck or something. I don't know because you've got in the face of fan backlash with chaos behind the scenes, um, terribly written plots <laughs> from a writer's room that is in constant flux. Yeah. yeah and yet you're renewed for a second season. Like, well, apparently they, they got two seasons right off the bat. Oh, did they? Yeah. So okay. that was kind of like, it was like one. They're with the a, two worst seasons. <laughs> I'm amazed. Yeah, even in season two. We'll talk about that next, <laughs> next episode. But uh, yeah, even that's not much help. What must I do to convince you people? Die. Oh, very clever, Worf. Eat any good books lately? So let's talk about some of the successes, the episodes that we think, like, even though you... Aiden, you think you could skip season one entirely. I think that no, there's... When maybe. the last time we watched it through, you're we like, did. let's just skip. You skipped yeah. season one and two. I skipped most of season... <laughs> no, only about half of season two. I think season two is a much a bigger it is improvement. It is a step absolutely. up. You're right. But, but, yeah. but these are the episodes that I think um, we would say have the most to offer yeah. a Trekkie or somebody who's being introduced to Trek. So Encounter at Farpoint, I think, is obviously the starter, logically, because it's the first episode. Yeah, and you, you do get the introduction to the characters, which is mm-hmm. very jumbled. Uh, we talked about this being one episode, and then they added on these other things. Well, so it's you like, get, it's like, two episodes. It should yeah. be two episodes. There should be the, the Deneb 4, yeah. Groppler Zorn, uh, you love that name. <laughs> I do love that name. Um, uh, Farpoint Station episode, yeah. and then the Q episode. Yeah. I think they should stand alone. They don't. And they don't together. And yeah, they're mashed together, and the timing is just super awkward. Together. Yeah, it is because like, and you get like double introductions, like because you can tell like they re- literally just did like, oh, we're gonna have all the introductions at the start of the encounter at Farpoint mission. 
and that's when you meet Riker and Crusher and Crusher and mm-hmm. Jordy. And but then thirty minutes earlier, you've already got introductions of Picard data. and Data, uh, and, and then you introduce Data again on the holodeck. Yeah, you yeah. know, so like they literally do. And the characterization things. is different. Yeah. Too well, because different people were writing it, right? And yeah. and so it's it's just all over the map. Yeah. Um, it's not a good pilot by any means. No, it's probably. I mean, we haven't watched every Star Trek series yet, no. but it is the weakest pilot, I think. It's even, like, yeah. when you think of the two pilots that the original the series, series had, had, Voyager's pilot is better. Oh, yeah. Um, Which, the Deep Space Nine yeah. pilot is the best. amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. The whole emissary thing. Yeah. Um, this one just feels... Well, it's bad. It's bad. It's just the, the writing's not there it's mashed together. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it shows like mm-hmm. all the problems show up in this episode. So, so why are we saying we should, why is it in our the, list of things I, you I would have say to watch? Because Q, yes, uh, the introduction okay. of right. Q John is Delancey absolutely is, important. And yep. yeah, if you're brand new to the show, yeah, get that, that initial introduction and then you can leave it behind. Just, just <laughs> understand it will get better. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, the next one that we think is kind of worthwhile is where no one has gone before. Yep. Um, so this one is, is interesting because it is, uh, there is some conflict between, uh, Starfleet people here because yeah. you have the the, the weenie kind mechanic, of mechanic engineer guy. dude who thinks he's a genius and but is really he's not. just got the traveler as his Doing like everything. you know it's it's the magic trick with the you know don't look behind the curtain kind yeah. of thing and and I do like this episode because it does give Wes something to do yeah um and he has this connection with the traveler that I think um if, spoiler alert comes up later yeah, a couple of times <laughs> yeah um but he's uh he's an important character in wesley's arc mm-hmm. this is an important story in wesley's arc yep. um but it's also just a, a a good episode that has a genuine mystery at yeah. the part of it and it and it does something similar to an original series episode where you're like thrown to the boundary of where yeah, you the, don't think anybody should be yeah. able to go yeah. um so you get to show off some really cool special effects and well, the and edge I, of the universe is gorgeous well, that yeah. extra galaxy is gorgeous like it's cool to look at right and, and the edge of the universe is interesting because they they do kind of have this idea throughout the season it's kind of hinted at i don't think it's that strong but it's like the idea that space time thought energy all these things are connected right and so you know they when they reach the edge of the galaxy anything they think oh, of the edge becomes of the universe. edge of the universe right yeah. yeah everything they think of becomes, becomes real. reality and so this is kind of like it just has some cool sequences there's the guy who's playing the violin and the woman who's being a ballerina and card like, meeting his mother be, yeah exactly which doesn't make any sense for no, later on. No, it makes perfect but sense. But canon doesn't exist. So anyways, uh, <sighs> so there's, that one's worthwhile to watch, I, I think for sure. And it's not, it's not too painful. The, the dialogue's fine. Like yeah, getting, no, it's one of the better episodes. Yeah. I think Haven, I'm not sure why we would want it to be on this list, but it's there. I, I put it on the list because it is, it's an introduction to the holodeck as a storytelling device. Um, and you get this all the way up through Voyager. I mean, uh, you know, DS9 has episodes on it. But this was the first time we were like, let's do an episode just no, in the No, you're thinking of The Big Goodbye. Oh, yes. Sorry. You're, sorry. Haven, yeah. Haven is the one with Loxana, which I guess is okay because you want to introduce Loxana Troy. But it's kind of a ridiculous story. And it, it again, doesn't give Troy a lot to do. But sorry. there's some there's some interesting 
character dynamics that come into play there, and two Twin, Twin Peaks actors. Are yes, there, so. yes, I uh, yeah. That I think that was literally the only reason I added that one on there was uh, you have uh, Robert, Robert Nepper and, and Carol Strucken yeah. uh, as uh, Mr. Hong and the dude Wyatt. Why? Wow. Yeah. First of all, great eighties name Wyatt. And it totally is. That di- that dude is totally going to marry uh, Deanna Troy until he doesn't. Until he doesn't. Um and. Uh, there was sorry, and just to jump ahead a little bit, there was a third Twin Peaks actor in this season, correct? Brenda. Yeah, Strong. Brenda Strong was in When the Bow Breaks, which we're not going to talk about because no, I don't but which one it's that is. you know what <laughs> I think. I think we should have a separate segment where we talk about the Twin Peaks okay, actors sure. who are in Star Trek. Um, but this time it's fine because we're not. Yeah, When the Bow Breaks, Brenda Strong plays um, one of the 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 last child born to the yes, people on the planet yes. who can't have children anymore. Yes, that's right. Um, and she was uh, Eckhart's assistant yes, in yes. Twin Peaks. Carol Stricken plays the giant and Robert Nepper plays um, one of the... Brothers. The brothers. Karamazov. And, nope. Nope. <laughs> in uh, Twin Peaks The Return. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Now let's talk about the big goodbye. Big goodbye, this is the one, yes. the holodeck Sorry, episode. and sorry, I was completely messed yeah, up. Yeah, you really were. Uh, your note here, why do they let anyone use the holodeck? Seriously, <laughs> it is such a, like, workplace injury prone, like, I would hate to be an HR on a starship <laughs> that has a holodeck, because yeah. you're going to be dealing with injuries. How do you, like, is there WCB for that? Do you go through, and like... you got whole Barkley stuff of, like... Right? What, There's, you know, like, sexual ma- harassment that goes it's on. It's just going to be bad. I mean, it's cool. Yeah, you get to live out your, you know, fantasy life. What's the name of the private eye that he always wants to play? Uh, I was going to say Dick Tremaine again. That's a, <laughs> Twin no, Peaks that's reference. Peaks reference. Uh, Dixon Hill. Dixon Hill. Yeah. So yeah, you get to live out your Dixon Hill um, adventure. But the safeties are going to fall off 50% of the time. So yeah, and then the guy die. you bring on to like the the red shirt, not quite a red shirt, mm. almost dies? Yep. Does he, he doesn't no, I, die? I think he, he makes survive? it. I think, I think uh, Crusher saves him. But yeah, it's... It, it's again. It's not a great episode, but um, it's a fun episode. But it, it is. Fun. It is kind of the fun. holodeck like, ones are fun. They like, are fun. It's. I mean, I think it reaches the uh, peak with uh, the Voyager one, where they, they, they're in the comic book characters world, and they just kind of they save yeah. the they save the, the ship. Spoilers or something. for Voyager. We're not there. We're yet. not there yet. But I'm just saying that this continues throughout. That's why I would recommend this episode. Data lore, one of my favorite episodes because yep. you get introduced. This is a soap opera trope that uh, I don't think they're trying. This isn't like a Twin Peaks, um, you know, <laughs> Emerald and Jade type situation no. where they're trying to make invitation to love happen. Um, but it is still fun to have like an evil twin yeah. oh, who you sure. like jettison out the the airlock yeah. at the end of the episode. But of course he's going to come back, yeah. right? Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it is fun. I, I There's a... A tweet or a Tumblr post somewhere where it's like the best episodes of Star Trek are just where they just let Brent Spiner go do whatever he wants. <laughs> like just be crazy for an hour and we'll yeah. film it and it's great. Because, yeah. you know, watching him play two sides of the same character. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It is. It's awesome. Uh, and then we get to the last two episodes, which are really the solid ones. This is where the show starts to hint at what it's capable of, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so Conspiracy, which is a really solid episode. The um, horror one where the head blows up. And the throat swelling. And, and we oh, watched that God. on at 5 o'clock in the <laughs> evening or afternoon into Well, it would have been 5.45 by the time this part rolled around. Basically but yeah, it bedtime. Was, yeah, essentially. So, I mean, it was. it's just, it's, it's, it's a 
terrifying episode and it but it has some really good stakes it has interesting developments you know you got picard meeting with the other captains and they're they're kind of forming like a counter conspiracy yeah and then yeah you got Riker eating the worms and everything like and this is all written to like kind of take the piss out of Roddenberry's no conflict rule but he ended up loving it yeah which ironically yeah which again uh Hurley especially in season two he got in a lot of fights with Roddenberry because Roddenberry would okay scripts that uh Hurley had actually nixed because Uh, they they went against Roddenberry's intent stated intention for the show see sometimes (laughs) the creatives just need to take a little bit of a step back yeah you know it's it's a good rule um but yeah it's it's really a it's really a, a great episode um it feels like a season two Two episode the mm-hmm, way it's mm-hmm. shot and everything it, it feels like they're really coming into it and then the neutral zone which mm-hmm. is uh how the series end reintroduces the romulans obviously mm-hmm. as a as kind of a big bad because the frangie didn't work which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense um but it also has this kind of it's really more the a plot of they find this sleeper ship that with the yeah. people from the 21st century that yeah the guy who's like life. my stocks and they're like what are stocks <laughs> <laughs> and it's like my it's, portfolio <laughs> yeah it's cute it's it is kind of cute but also makes you think like all those people who are into cryogenics and stuff like you wake up 400 years later nobody you know is still alive alive, like what's the point in that like chances are the language will have evolved like that's one thing you can't do in star trek obviously because it's being filmed now but Mm -hmm. in reality i mean try and imagine language 500 years ago yeah we just did a whole (laughs) season on shakespeare i mean and that's that's early modern english and it's barely intelligible to most people so i mean the way there's more people now than ever there's Mm -hmm. more communication now than ever uh it's going to diversify quite a bit in the next language is going through some pretty intense changes right now exactly in terms of like you know texting and emojis and things like that who in knows? 300, 400 years. We communicate years. in memes, for God's sakes. We're basically right? Darmok and Jalad. It's yes, Nagra at this right? point, right? And it's like... It's like hieroglyphics knows? and... and yeah, you don't you want know. to wake up in 500 years because nobody's going to no. understand what the fuck you're talking about. So the about. neutral zone. Interesting <laughs> for the philosophy of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and like... I, I the one thing that really doesn't work for me for that episode is like the end when the two plots connect and it's like oh the the stockbroker dude is gonna call the bluff of the Romulans because right, right. you know nobody in the future knows how to call a bluff and yeah because like, he's a Texas he's hold a, on yeah yeah I know what I'm doing shucks kind of guy right is and he from Texas. No, there's there's the singer, the guitar playing guy oh. who's from the south. Oh, okay. Then that that guy's like a yeah, just a stockbroker type, gotcha. right? Um, yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a bullshit ending, but otherwise the episode works really well. We're not friends. You wound me, mon capitaine. Uh, then we have a quick hits of notable episodes, which I put in air quotes, which you can't see, of course. Uh, so these are just one sentence descriptions of these uh, episodes of what makes them memorable. You can just literally watch for these little things. If any of these keywords interest you, go for it. Um, home soil, uh, ugly bags of mostly water. Symbiosis. Drugs are bad. Okay. Uh, brought to you by Nancy Reagan. That was your note. Thank you very much, <laughs> Lindsay. Uh, Skin of Evil, Yar's dead. Yeah, very fair. We'll always have Paris. Yeah, there's some sort of characterization going on. What the hell is but that? Picard fucked. So. Oh, you know he did. <laughs> um, Angel One, Hello Matriarchy. Justice, Don't Touch the Grass, also horny. Also horny and naked now, just horny. And also Data fucks. Yeah. So. Yeah, so there it is. I mean, that's those are episodes... They're there. Um, I, I do want to yeah. say there. there is a lot more sexiness to 
the next generation. Yes. Um, oh, we didn't mention, as you mentioned that, sorry, Lindsay, yeah. it made me realize uh, Roddenberry did want to have a gay couple. Yes, that's true. And it was, there was a script uh, yes. in which there was going to be reference to like, oh, how long have those two guys, one of whom you haven't, don't even see on screen, yeah. how long have they been together? And there's like, oh, it's been a couple of years or something like that. Yeah, that Rick was Berman nixed it. Yeah, fuck you, Rick Berman. Rick Berman. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. But Very, yes, it is. It is a, a much sexier and more adult show. I always laugh when we're watching it on. Well, it used to be on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it would be like the warning would come up. It was like <laughs> sex and violence, and I'm like, sex? really? <laughs> but it is like there is a lot more upfront discussion about sex. But that's yeah. because you know the 1960s. You're not that far removed from the Hayes Code era, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Now you've got you're you're. Married with Children is on air now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you can have an episode where, you know, your android is talking about the broad variety of pleasuring that he's able to provide. Mm-hmm. And this is why he's the most popular character on the show. I, I maintain it to this day. Just like Spock. The, the ladies yeah. love a man who performs. An emotionally, an emotionally unavailable <laughs> man who fucks. <laughs> this is what we're looking for. I also just want to bring up the fact that we do have a main character who dies. Yeah. And this is a step forward as well in, in the maturity of Star Trek because yeah. that doesn't happen in the original series. Nope. Um, you have characters leave the show like... Yeah, Sulu um, was off for a season. Yeah, and, or yeah. Uh, Janice Rand leaves and like mm-hmm. there's there's changes to the show but never a character who dies permanently. Mm-hmm. Spock is resurrected at the end of... Um, well, beginning and beginning of two and three. Yeah. Um, so to have a character who actually dies, like, I don't know, I, I guess I just, that's a turning point for me. I think that's an interesting, as hated as the episode is, and as much as I really wish we had more of Tasha Yar in Star Trek, um, I do think that that is a sign of good things to come. Because you do experience this in other ways in other episodes. There mm-hmm. are there are stakes, there are big stakes to be had, and um, well, the grilled way- and cooked and... <laughs> Not Absol- with ketchup. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I feel like the way it happened, it was so mm-hmm. abrupt and mm-hmm. like nobody really had warning. Which is how death happens. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, the, the threat was kind of <clears throat> always there, but at the right. same time, you could kind of tell the show was gelling. They weren't going to sacrifice one of these no, key characters. No, a red shirt, totally. Yeah, yeah. But not your chief of security. Yeah. Right. So, and I mean, it's not until, you know, you get into modern prestige TV where, yeah, you can kill the, you can kill Hemler on Strange New Worlds because yeah. he's kind of a key character but also not so yeah it's easy to write them out right so yeah it's, or it's, like it's prestige tv nowadays where it's like almost expected that you'll yeah have you're gonna lose some big characters yeah. yeah shut up wesley shut up wesley big slog star date 38764.5 that's a really hard number to say mm-hmm. why did you do that i made it hard for you after completing yet another analysis of a gaseous cloud cluster in the Omega-6 sector, Admiral Hales deigned to visit me to cringe watch some of our most least favorite old peering into the stars, The Next Generation Season 1. After going through all but the absolute most painful episodes, we agreed on most topics, which obviously could not stand. So I set my mind at work to determine which of the many, many flaws that were made in Season 1 were best corrected over the course of the show. Was it Data's emotional responses? Picard's near hatred for his own crew? Or the most obvious example? Riker's beard. Together we shall come up with a definitive list, I'm sure. So Aiden, the question that I'm putting to you, what are the things in season one that 
they mainly missed most badly, but were later corrected. I would say there's, for me, it's a mix. There's, okay, there's so many. <laughs> but <laughs> Where uh, to start? I, I think the ones we've mentioned already, like <clears throat> Riker, uh, you know, easing up on the crew, mm-hmm. um, having LaForge have a purpose, like giving him something. Same with Worf. I mean, yeah. they were literally just bridge members at large, right? Mm-hmm. And so you really define these roles. And having a chief engineer, like it seems like such a no-brainer. I mean, after... Scotty was kind of developed into that role. He wasn't mm-hmm. even initially started as that. So they realized they needed a chief engineer. Mm-hmm. Why they thought this show could get by without one, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, so those those kind of role things are uh, the biggest ones for me. Yeah. The other one is actually <clears throat> Picard's character. Okay. Um, and his, his kind of... He was always kind of the wise negotiating, uh, you know, outwit the other, the bad guys kind of yeah. captain. Um, but they they added a lot more of, there's a lot more depth to that in, in future seasons. You really did start to feel like he really could think his way out of out of these ones. Yeah. We just watched, uh, I think it was an early season two episode with the, um, they fly into the black hole and it's actually an alien who's going to oh, yeah. kill all the crew or half the crew or something. And Picard like sets an auto destruct sequence. And it's like, that's kind of lazy. Like, yes, that is the obvious ploy, but you know, Picard couldn't think of another way. He couldn't actually negotiate out of it. And by the time you're getting into season four or five, six, you know, he's, he's not killing Hugh or not killing the Borg because the, he's going to spare Hugh. Or the whole episode and, like, with the Sheliak and him figuring out from the contract, like yeah. how to get around it or, or Darmok and, and yeah, right. Like that, yeah. that just, it, yeah. It okay. wasn't, it wasn't there yet. So I think that's, that's my biggest one is actually Picard's characterization because, okay. uh, and it's odd because I feel like Picard, I didn't say this when we were talking about it, but I feel like he was the one character that they really did nail. They had a very good sense of like, yes, he's a diplomat first fighter second, uh, but he will fight if needed. And, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, a classical leader in the sense of like, he wants to, people look to him for direction and he's very happy to give it. And he usually makes the right decision. Right. Um, that worked, but there was, there was more depth needed and they, they developed it over subsequent seasons. You make some good points. <laughs> um, I'm just going to put one word to you. The thing that needs to change most that they missed in the early seasons and fixed later on. Unitard. <laughs> the uniforms are atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. The Lycra spandex. Uh, let's go to spa lady. <laughs> no. And, and get our workout on in yeah. our stinky uniforms that are look terribly uncomfortable, leave very little to the imagination. Nothing, yeah. Um, by the time you get to season three and they have, like, the two-piece, at least for the men, the women didn't quite get there. Well, Troy was still in a one-piece up until, like, season yes, six. It was until ridiculous. Captain Jellicoe. I'm telling yes, you, that's the episode. He gave her permission to wear real clothes. Yes. And, yeah. Um, but that's where, you know, the the... The most attractiveness comes out for the male members of the crew. They are just, they are bringing the looks. Yeah. When you get to those with the pips on the collar yep. and the crisp shoulders and the the V-shaped, like, design on the front that, yep. like, you know, yep. and the pants. That are real pants, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, by season four or five, you got Picard in his little leather jacket and stuff. Yeah, like, I mean. all bets are off. <laughs> like, you want to... Uh, it's not quite female gaze. 
<laughs> it definitely isn't designed to be that way. <laughs> but there is something very comforting about mm. it's the shoulders. It's the shoulder pads. You the data shoulders look like you want to rest your head on them. <laughs> And, yeah, and like fair. you want him to comfort you after yeah. a long, hard day in the turbo lift <laughs> or whatever. Or I don't wherever know. you can get him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. That's kind of what I meant. Yeah, a little but bit. It's okay. the uniforms. That's, yeah. that's what needs to change. And I think uh, to be serious for a moment. Um, oh, no. I'm, that was, <laughs> I'm serious about that. That's true. There's, there's something very um, – when you go from the Monster Maroon – in all the way up to mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek Six, yep. you know, there's something very naval and authoritative about mm-hmm. the uniform design. And then you come into the next generation, which is a hundred years in or so future, yeah. after, and you're like, they've resorted to unitards. Yeah. There's something very it beggars belief. Yeah. It's and there's nothing professional about it. It just yeah. looks like they're in their pajamas. Yeah. It really doesn't feel like an appropriate uniform no, for your Starfleet to be wearing. Not at all. So to get them in, in proper uniforms by the time. And then, you know, they just keep getting better. I think the DS9 uniforms are really great. I mm. love the Voyager uniforms. Yeah, I think Voyager is actually my favorite. Which is kind of that because they're in the same uniform for seven years that, you know, things move on outside yeah. of their world because they're well, and then the you Delta Quadrant for so long. Well, modern track where there's like 17 different uniforms Well, and uniforms that's, that's kind of <laughs> so. the joke now, right? Like, yeah. just wait five minutes. It's like the weather in Alberta, right? Wait five minutes. It'll, It'll change. change. Yeah. So, um, but yeah i think the uniforms are what needs to lindsay i will happily that. concede defeat i can't on this shake one. your you hand shake i've that hand. got it like hurts. a broken yeah. wrist but, but yeah absolutely you're yeah. right no 100 on this one okay fantastic i love winning these arguments she said to trust nobody and you've basically brought everyone captain who the hell are you Can we just all take a breath captain what? what so our next episode is going to be a watch along oh yes uh, yes we're i don't do... know that we've decided on an episode yet We'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, my, not I'm, Code of Honor. We're I'm, not doing... Well, no, we're definitely not doing that one. <sighs> um, because the Snarkometer would just be off the charts for us, I well, think. Well, I'm like... Uh, yeah. yeah I, I just don't have I, it. I can't do we it. We might do Encounter at Farpoint. I, it's, it would be a longer episode. Yeah. But I think it could... There's there's so many pauses for us to have <laughs> witty banter and conversation. Yeah, yeah. Or places for it to fall flat. Yeah. That, um, that Data Lore is a great episode. Mm-hmm. The Big Goodbye... Um, yeah, we maybe we'll do a one zero zero one one zero zero one zero zero one. The one with the, the binars. binars. I think yeah. that would be an interesting episode. Uh, where silence has least. That's the one that you were thinking of with the uh, yes, thank ne- you, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we because we don't have a, a social media presence. Thanks, Elon Musk. Um, we don't, aren't going to put this to a poll. Yeah. You're just going to have to trust that we're going to make the best decision for you, fair listeners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or a decision. Or, yeah, it'll be a decision. <laughs> a decision will be made. Yeah. And then after that, season two yeah. of Next Generation. So, yeah. so thank you uh, for joining us for this one. It's, been, it's a bit long. Well, we obviously, we have to go into a lot of the production history and, and the setup for that. And even we didn't really cover... A third no, of what we could. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, but detail. it's all out there. So if you wanted yeah. to go into the, the, you know, the extra detail um, about chaos on the bridge, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the center seat has a really great. Um, yeah. It's a really great. Breakdown I mean, memory of alpha it. obviously has great stuff about all the the backstory. Go on and, YouTube and find. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Orange River has a, a video that was just put out a couple, yeah. well, not long ago, um, going through season one. Yeah. And Ron J. Uh, Coleman always, always yep, has the a retrospective. Good, yeah, so retrospective so there's, really great. and we'll try and link all of these videos that we watched in our research as yeah. well, um, so that you can go in and find all the stories that 
you didn't tell and yeah. that are out there to be listened to, I guess. Definitely. Like our podcast, which I don't know why you're listening to it. If you made it all the way to the end, you're just here to hear me say the famous sign-off line. Hi, caramba. Okay. No, wrong one. We're wrong series. Here. Live long and prosper. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds, and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.